0: Welcome back to Trojan Talk. I'm Ryan Young, and I will be joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Brown. You know him as the former USC quarterback, the Trojans analyst, and our Trojansports.com analyst for the 2019 season. But first, I want to hit some news at the top. We got the full injury rundown from Clay Helton after practice Monday. Again, it's a short week for the Trojans with a Friday night game at Colorado So they had a Monday open practice to us, uh, open in terms of interviews, that is. And there was a lot to cover. It was almost all injury-related. And I just want to hit that at the top here for you all so you know what's going on. I'm not sure I've ever covered a football team that's had a worse rash of injuries than what we've seen over the last couple weeks here. Mind you, this is already a team that has had to go through three quarterbacks at various points this season. That alone would be a lot for, for a team or program to handle, but that seems so far in the past now. Right now we're dealing with everything else. So just to run it down, bad news on running back Marquis Stepp, who finally was in position to get his chance to carry a full workload. We've been clamoring for it all season. It was going to happen, and he gets hurt on his 13th carry Saturday. Tore ligaments in his ankle, has to have surgery, Clay Helton gave a recovery timeline of three to five weeks. I presume that's after the surgery, which I don't think he's had yet. So it, it's kind of questionable as to whether we see Marquise step again this season. That's unfortunate. Also, uh, Stephen Carr, running back Stephen Carr, grade two hamstring injury, uh, with hamstrings you just never know uh, they can be a couple weeks or as we saw with max williams in the preseason that lingered for six to eight weeks almost so you just don't know what to expect there so that thrust a lot of uh interesting scenarios in play for the running back position and max and i will cover this in the podcast but you're going to have true freshman keenan christian is the number one guy there now made his debut last week eight carries 103 yards two touchdowns Really impressive, had long touchdowns of 55 and 30 yards. We'll see what he can do over over a more extended workload. And they're going to have to lean on him heavily because behind him you have the walk, the former walk-on, Quincy Jaunty, who fumbled on his first carry last weekend. And then they're moving Dom Davis back to running back. Davis has been a running back, moved to defense, moved to receiver, now is at, back at running back to give them depth. But they're going to have to hope that Keenan Christian can be a guy there. If that was it, that would be a lot to handle, but that's not it for these Trojans. On the defensive side, you're looking at star safety Talno Hufanga, dislocated right shoulder. This is the same side on which he broke his collarbone twice uh, last fall and again in the spring. This is not a collarbone injury. Uh, Clay Helton made certain to say that that was never a fear because when they went back in and did the second surgery, they put a steel plate in there that should make sure that that doesn't uh, happen again but it is the same side and it's a concerning injury and we weren't given a timeline but I have to imagine he's out for a while obviously behind Talanoa you have Chase Williams who's been kind of their utility DB all season has been up and down they're gonna have to have him rise to the occasion and play his best football down the stretch here if that was it that would be a lot but that's not it unfortunately up front Defensive end Drake Jackson, the star freshman, has a high ankle sprain. He was in a large walking boot Monday. As we know with high ankle sprains, they can take a while to heal. Case in point, Christian Rector, their other starting D end, sustained a high ankle sprain in week two. Missed one game, came back, clearly wasn't the same player trying to play through that injury. Finally shut it down last weekend, sat out that game uh, is not practicing to start this week. He may not play this week either. So they're possibly down both of their DNs that they've relied on all season. That would leave Connor Murphy and Caleb Tremblay to kind of rotate those spots. What I think we would see more of is, is more one DN sets with the, the outside linebacker in, uh, usually Hunter Echols in that position up close to the line. But they'll have to get creative there. So that's, that's a lot. And then, just kind of rounding out on some more unfortunate news, freshman wide receiver Munir McLean has a torn ACL. It's his second ACL tear. This is not the same knee. It's a different knee. He tore his ACL his junior year at J. Sarah High School, recovered in time to finish his senior season, uh, had a great preseason with USC. There just hasn't been much need for receiver depth this year with the top three guys commanding about 95% of the, of the targets. So had three catches for 19 yards but was possibly in line for a bigger role next year and and now is unfortunately going to be facing another lengthy rehab with that knee. And his brother, Abdul Malik McClain, the outside linebacker, has a shoulder separation. So it's just just an awful rash of injuries. The the only good news, I guess, is that cornerback's Elijah Griffin uh, with his back and Isaac Taylor Stewart with his ankle – Progress this week both practice Monday Taylor Stewart of course played in that game Saturday off the bench played a lot actually with his ankle sprain but Clay Helton said he looks even better than he did last week so they should have both corners back Greg Johnson and Nichols also back so a little help in the secondary but everywhere else around the field seems to have taken a big hit that's that's the news Max and I will get into all that we're going to break down the win over Arizona what if any Big-picture takeaways we can take from that. Obviously, the Wildcats are not a great team. USC handled business, as they should have with that 41-14 win. But we'll get into all that right now. Real fast, though, must tell you about the free trial. Still offering the free trial uh, until December 7th. So you can sign up now and get all of our premium coverage free through the Pac-12 championship game. That is all of our... Uh, in-depth team coverage, our columns, our exclusive features. For example, we we had an in-depth story on Dorian Hewitt last week before his first career start. Uh, no one else had that story. We, we kind of had his entire path uh, to USC and some great details about how he ended up a Trojan. Uh, we try and bring you those stories Regularly. So sign up for our exclusive features, our columns, our podcast, our in depth recruiting coverage. Uh, There's a lot to offer. We have a lot to offer. There's a lot to like. We want you to get in the door and see it. So use the promo. Promo code FREEUSC. That's free USC at sign-up. And if you go to the homepage at trojansports.com, you will see a banner advertising the promo. We have links to it in almost every story. It's real easy to sign up. There's no commitment, so there's there's nothing... There's no. This shouldn't be a tough decision. Uh, take advantage of it. Stay as long as you want. If you, if you want to cancel before the free trial's up, you have full ability to do so. But we're confident you're going to... See what we're doing. You're gonna like what we're doing. And you're gonna stay on. All right, here we go. This is Trojan Talk with Max Brown and Ryan Young. Max, we have a a very positive game to break down. It's it's, it's nice. It's a nice change of pace after we got three a good win four games and yeah, it was it was a feel good game. I mean, it wasn't perfect. USC beats Arizona 41-14. Offense starts slow, finishes strong, defense is uh, lights out for three quarters. Let's just go overall, big picture, and then we'll kind of boil it down. Big picture, what did you learn about this team on Saturday night?
1: Yeah, I think um, – I, I don't know if I learned anything, to be honest. I got that question in the, in the post game, and to me, it, you kind of walk away from that game and no one's surprised. Even though you blew out an Arizona team, no one you, – you're not walking out of the Coliseum saying uh, – Oh wow! Like this, this wow, this team really stepped up, kind of thing. To me, it was kind of like, all right, this is like what we know this team can do. We know this team has the skill. We know that when like kind of the stars align, things can fall into place. I think we probably the one thing we may have learned is I, I guess depth and how good SC is there, especially kind of. I mean, a lot of guys played on, on defense. You go down the, you go down the list of who got in the game and how many people made tackles and kind of were in the stat sheet. It's a lot of guys, and obviously with the injuries coming to the forefront, that depth's going to be crucial moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's incredible kind of the depth we've seen from this team, uh, be it in the secondary, be it at linebacker, of course at running back. It's It's been one of the overwhelming positives of this season, and we're going to get into a bunch of those guys individually. But let's just start with the offense, and I thought coming into this game – with Arizona ranked as one of the worst defenses in the country, especially against the pass, that we might see something closer to the expected air raid. This might be a game to open up the passing game, really get it going, get that pace of play going. And they come out with three three and outs in the first four drives, yep. with, the only, with the only exception there being a field goal set up by a, a muff punt by Arizona. Um, so really four drives where they didn't, didn't get a first down to start the game. And I was stunned. And if you had told me that entering it, I would not have said, OK, well, they're going to win 41-14 after all that. But uh, it was kind of a wonky game the way it played out. But let's just focus on the offense. What was your critique early on of Keaton Slovis and, and just the unit as a whole? And then what do you think kind of opened up for them as things went along?
1: Yeah, Graham made the comment how uh, Keaton was probably the most hesitant he's been in this yeah. game. And, uh To me, I mean, there's a play like that, like when I say that sticks out in my mind, where like Connor or uh, Colin Schooler, their middle linebackers, kind of blitzing the A gap, and it's a throw that. Like, on paper, Keaton probably should have got the ball out of his hands, and it's like a 12-, 15-yard curl route, which would have, he's, the guy's kind of wide open, but Schooler's kind of in his in his vision, and he, he decides not to throw, and he kind of gets sacked. And there's another one where uh, we, we, we kind of talked about it last week, like getting to his check down where Keaton doesn't get that far. There's another one where there's a little RPO action, and he hands the ball off, and to me it's an easy throw outside. So it's little stuff. It's not groundbreaking things. I think Clay made the point after the game that it's nice that – he's not making the catastrophic mistake because that's where you really get into trouble. But uh, it's kind of those things that I'll put on my critical hat here a little bit where uh, you haven't necessarily seen him take a huge step. I mean, I think he burst on the scene right away. And and some of those things, I think, in a perfect world, you would have hoped he kind of – Maybe would have progressed a little bit, but then let me backtrack a little bit and say, "Hey, this kid is still a true freshman. He's still learning. I mean, every game's kind of kind of something new, and that's not just lip service for me. That that's definitely the case with with a guy how how young he is. But I thought he was fine. I, I thought he was he he was solid. But I, I won't go as far as saying uh, it, it was anything groundbreaking by any means.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been a weird perception of progression for me because again. Early on, I was like the only guy saying, Hey, this Slovis kid might be something special. Uh, I'm hearing really good things from people back in Arizona. Maybe he's more than a three star prospect. And everyone was kind of dismissing me. And then it really turned after that Stanford game, and everyone was like, Slovis is so much better than JT Daniels. This is the future. And I've just tried to stay in that middle ground where, you know, I, I just want to see how it plays out. And I'll, I'll just say it again. I still think that this team is, would have been better with a healthy JT Daniels all season, and I still think that Keaton Slovis' long-term potential is very high. I believe both those things, they are, they are mutually exclusive. But, you know, people are just so reactive to the, to, to the immediate stuff, and I think there's people now kind of jumping off the Slovis bandwagon. And what we're seeing is just a freshman quarterback who at times looks like a freshman and is learning on the fly and was thrust into this unexpectedly. Yeah. And then, and then had to miss most of two games with an injury. So his progress and his development were, were jolted out of whack there and, and, and stalled for a couple of weeks. So, yeah, we, we are seven games through the season, but he's only played what four full games out of that. So, I, I just, I, I don't think anyone should be making hard and fast verdicts on, on Keaton Slovis and what he can be at this point. It, it wasn't his best game, but you know what. If, if you can have a quote-unquote off day and still finish 19 of 28 for 232, two touchdowns no picks, then there's some potential there.
1: Exactly, and I think I'm glad you ended with that because, I mean, it is still a true freshman. Is still doing a lot of good things. I mean, there, there's definitely some some good throws in there. I think, like, like, I, like I mentioned, the, the not making the catastrophic mistake, that's your biggest worry when you have a true freshman quarterback out there. So I think he's doing good things. I just think – I mean, when you compare it to kind of what we saw a little bit with JT Daniels in that first game where he was so quick with his decisions and so quick with kind of getting the ball out of his hands that when you kind of are comparing apples to apples, you, you might say, hey, that's the one area we, might, we, we could be uh, missing out on. But obviously the running backs, I mean... That depth there was incredible. Um, I mean, all, all year we've been talking about Marquis Stepp and Vi and Stephen Carr, but uh, to get Keenan out there and, and, and have him get two big runs, I thought that was huge. Um, and then offensive line played all and these receivers, I think, I mean, they, they showed how, how deadly they are. I mean, Michael Pittman, you have the little now route on the end zone, and he just runs over a corner. And then... Later, like a quarter later, he goes goes up and gets a rebound on a post deep ball. I mean, that's just typical Michael Pittman. I thought that was great. You saw how smooth Tyler Vons was. So, I mean, this offense is money when they're clicking. The, the offense, the the injuries concern me. I mean, if, if Keaton Christians, is your only healthy, kind of legit back going into a ball game, I think that makes me a little nervous just because those runs that he had, I mean, he's untouched. And that's a testament to kind of the blocking scheme there. And the, the, the guy that did get the kickout block on one of those runs was Liam, Liam Jimmins, which was awesome to see. He's not always a guy yeah. we talk about. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, proud for, for Keenan Christian, but I think it, moving forward, it concerns me a little bit just because there's more than just kind of Going untouched inside zone schemes. I mean, he's going to have to piece together pass pro and catching the ball and kind of everything that happens on on like on, on a road game when you go up against a good defense. Like we're going to see with uh, with Arizona State and Oregon down the road. So hopefully those guys can get healthy. But uh, we saw a lot of faces, uh, a lot of faces that game for sure.
0: Yeah, we're going to have the Keenan and Christian discussion here coming up. But you touched on Michael Pittman. I want to make a quick point. I think it's. Uh... I think it's going to end up unfortunate that he's not going to get the due or national respect he probably deserves. It's because of the way teams have played this offense and the way this offense has had to adjust or, or maybe not fully adjusted at times. This is now three straight games with Pittman having, being held to four catches and less than 70 yards. And yet, you mentioned those two plays that, that just go right onto his highlight reel and just show again why he's one of the best in the business. At this point i i just think the overall numbers won't be there and yet i'll probably still feel the same way about his season as i, as I did coming off that utah game
1: yeah i'll say this though i i'll have to go back and watch the film i, I didn't get the gauge they, they doubled him as much i think it was more so just kind of like, like like we talked about offense starts slow you kind of lose out on a few possessions there um but and then obviously i mean like every single week you have so many mouths to feed that uh it might not just be his week but i think Notre Dame, there was clear as day on tape that they're doubling him. They're not going to let Michael Pittman beat them. With Arizona, they mixed it up. To their credit, I think they kind of knew that they were undermanned defensively. And early on, they were doing a lot of stuff. They were, uh, I think they, they knew that they had decent team speed, but they were totally outmatched, especially out, uh, up front. So you're trying to mix it up. But yeah, I, I think it was just kind of one of those things out wide for Michael Pittman.
0: Yeah, it wasn't even his best individual game. I think there was a pass there that he probably could have caught. I had to go back and watch it again to see if it was a drop or a PBU. Um, overall, he had—I think he had nine targets and only four catches. So it wasn't—it wasn't his best game overall. And that's, that's not all on him. I'm just saying those are the overall all stats. But I, my point was more big picture season-wise. It's becoming clear now that he's not going to have the statistical season that I thought he might. And yet, I'm still going to feel the same way about his performance and talent level overall. Let's just get into it with Keenan Christian. I mean, he's obviously the the story of the week, the buzz of the week. The true freshman gets in, gets eight carries for 103 yards, two touchdowns, both both long scores for 55 yards and 30. Great blocking on those plays. I mean, he took advantage of of huge holes and proved that that's really all he needs is just that little little crease, or that little opening, and he's gonna be really hard to catch in the, the open field. What was your first impression? And you talked about. He's gonna to have to adjust with you know going to a full game. But what was your first blush impression seeing Keenan Christian for the first time there?
1: It's cool when you talk to these coaches, and uh, I, I get to interview kind of one coach a week, and um, you, you bring up guys that are having tangible results on the field during the week. But sometimes they kind of reference guys that are kind of sitting and waiting in the wings. And every time I talk to Mike Jinks. He always mentioned Keaton Christian and, and kind of yes, we know about the big three running backs and, and Marquis Step was once kind of sitting sitting behind, but then now has come to the surface. But he always kind of mentioned, hey, you can't teach speed. And I, I, right when he broke through, like right when he got like ten yards through the line, Mike Jenks' Mike Jinks's voice of saying, you can't teach that ten-three speed or whatever his uh, his all, all all California track speed is. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's true, and that that speed is lethal. I think. It's just super fun to kind of go down this running back depth chart, and you have four guys that are great running backs, and they all give you something different. That I mean, big, fast, uh, mixture of the both, kind of run you over, juke you out, just kind of burn burn you and, and run by you. I think it's it's fun to kind of see how they play off off each other. Um, but uh, I was just impressed with the fact that. I mean, he. People forget he was the fifth running back. They put in Quincy Jaunty there for that one carry, yeah. and my heart, oh, yeah. my heart kind of fell. Uh, I felt for that guy because he gets one carry, former walk-on fumbles, and they kind of move on to the next guy. So my heart goes out to him. So to have it be Keenan, Keenan Christian be your fifth guy that goes out there that says a lot about what Mike Jinks does. It says a lot about what sc has uh, been able to do to recruit that position. But I do. Kind of settle the reins a little bit because, like we talked about, I mean, that, that that hole was great. I mean, if Stephen Carr gets that hole, I'm sure he's probably gone as well.
0: Sure, The other sure. guys
1: might get caught by a DB, but uh, I still am kind of – I want to wait and see. I'm intrigued with what he can do in the pass game. Usually a guy with his, his skill set, I mean, like premier speed, you try to get him – get him the ball in the pass game as well, open in space to see what he can do there. So that's kind of the next step that uh, I'll be looking forward to because you look at those injuries. I mean, I had my, I kind of shivered on the, when I watched Stephen Carr's injury on the TV screen. That did not look good. I think the report was that... I mean, it was, it was semi-okay, but that did not look good. Marquis step, he rolled his ankle the opposite way of the common way, which makes, means it's even harder to roll that way, which means it's probably a more significant injury. So I, I worry about those guys. And then anytime you're getting surgery, that's not a good sign for Vavai melapai. So, I mean, Keenan Christian's going to have to step up and step up big. And on a, on a Friday night road test, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to watch.
0: Yeah. So a couple of things there. You mentioned it speaks to what Mike Jinx is doing with these guys. And I'm just gonna, I'm just throwing it out there from the fan side. I'm not going to fully indulge this, but the fans are going, "Why have we not seen that guy all season?" And the, the the immediate reaction after the game was to go, "Oh my gosh, there's a a thunder and lightning combination here with Step and, and Kristen, two guys who have been to different extents buried down the depth chart." I'm not going to hammer the coaches about that. I I know what they're thinking all along was with, with Kristen, was that obviously he can play in four games and still redshirt. But they wanted to make sure that, that if they were going to use him, it was going to be for a substantial allotment of, of touches and carries. And so they were kind of saving those four games. And now it kind of looks smart, actually, because now they're going to need him. And if they had been filtering him in here and there earlier in the season just to get one or two big plays, you're in a dilemma in terms of what you do going forward and, and, and probably having to burn his red shirt. Now they can maybe you know unleash him for four games, three more games and still protect that red shirt so that actually was was a smart management with him through through the season
1: I'm right with you. And even if, if you're Keenan Christian I think if, if you're him I mean he, he's going to be in a, a way better position next year and years beyond I mean the running back room it's a stacked room uh, especially for a guy like him weight room probably does himself a solid so I, I think the idea of red shirting it has a negative connotation at times but uh, even if I was him that, that, that that's what I would do
0: yeah, and and you know, just just to show you that I'm I'm objective. I'm in the middle. I like Mike Jinks. I may give him a hard time now and then, and get all in on the on the Marquis step debate. But but I can also point out when he's doing the right thing with these guys. So let's go through that game again. I mean. He- You're already without Vi, like like you mentioned. You lose Stephen Carr, then you lose Marquise, and it was like we—it was finally Marquise Steps' opportunity to have a full workload. We've been clamoring for it, waiting for it, and and it happened somewhat organically. But he was going to have it, and then the ankle injury—he gets a a low tackle, a a helmet to the ankle, ends up with 13 carries for 66 yards and a touchdown. Um, Just a, a tough break for him. But if not for those injuries and Quincy Jaunty fumbling, we may not see Keenan Christian. I mean, maybe he filters in late in the game because they don't want to give Jaunty too many carries. But it's just kind of funny how, how that all had the fall into place. Well, not funny, but just interesting how all those things had to fall into place for this guy to come out and be the star of the game and have those big runs. And if you don't know his history, Keenan Christian was a three-star prospect out of San Diego and tied the California state meet record in the 100 meters this year at 10.30. Also won the 200, was one of only three guys from the San Diego section all time to win both those races at the state meet. So you knew coming in he had this, this blazing speed. And he certainly showed it. I almost want to segue right here into, and we'll get to the defense later, but I want to go to a kind of a midway discussion about reassessing this 2019 recruiting class. And I'm going to throw some names at you and, and kind of what the ranking was and what the perception was. I like it. And maybe, and maybe how that's different now. Perfect. And Let's do it. So, you know, this was a pretty maligned class. This was the finished number 19th on the Rivals rankings, the lowest USC had ever finished in the Rivals rankings, which started in 2002. People were all up in arms about, about just how recruiting had dropped off. And, yeah, it wasn't a top five national class, but out of it you get – a freshman starting quarterback three-star Keaton Slovis you get a running back in Keenan Christian who uh, is now what everyone's excited to see more of you get a budding star in Drake Jackson who was a four-star defensive end you get Chris Steele on the back end. I, he didn't actually count toward their rankings because he transferred back in. But five-star cornerback Chris Steele comes in and is, and is a, a lockdown freshman corner uh, immediately. You have guys in the secondary step up, like Dorian Hewitt made his first start this week. Max Williams made, made his second start. Kalana McCullough has played back there. And it, overall, it's, it's turned out pretty impressive. Drake London, a freshman, has, has played a lot this season. and there two two of their top guys haven't even touched the field in brew mccoy and and kyle ford so overall when you look back on on what they're getting from this freshman class how would you assess just that first year contribution from that group
1: yeah it's a great job recruiting um and i think i mean credit this staff link to those guys i mean chris steel's story is unique i mean uh brew mccoy everyone kind of knows that story uh, it's not always that guys kind of come back to c- come back to SC or transfer to SC or however you want to word that. In, in both those guys, I know Steele, We've actually have proof of it, and Brew McCoy. It's more of kind of a hope, but uh, to those guys, I mean, those guys will be playmakers and absolute stars for SC for for years to come. I think, uh, yeah, the, the guys that excite me the most, I think, are obviously Keaton Slovis. Anytime you have a true freshman quarterback that can come into SC. And, and and I mean I can be critical on him 15 minutes ago, but three out he is. He's a true freshman quarterback. No one was expecting anything. The fact he's even able to put up the numbers and kind of the the quality starts he's he's putting up is is awfully impressive. But then Drake Jackson and Chris Steele. Chris Steele's been locked down, and I know. I mean it's the corner position's been fun to break down ever since August because it was a big question mark, and then now we find ourselves kind of saying, hey, these guys are uh, across the board are are a great group. I mean Chris Steele and Drake Jackson, those guys. You talk about the future, um, I mean, for the next two years, maybe three years, those are those are studs right there. and They're only going to get better, only going to get more confident. Um, so I think that's big. And then uh, the other guy that probably sticks out to me at this point is, uh, is Max Williams. I mean, talk about minimal expectations. I think to an extent, Drake Jackson and Chris Steele had a little bit of expectations. You had hoped that they could fill a role in some regard. That was not the case with Max Williams and and the fact that he's able to come in here, uh, did well on the road at Washington, does solid uh, this past Saturday night. And I think I'm impressed like when you watch the film, he doesn't look kind of out of place and he looks very good in the run game, which that's usually the last part to come for a young Nickel defensive back body usually they can kind of they can kind of hang in coverage and they can make a few plays and their 7 on 7 tournaments kind of carry over a little bit <laughs> but I've been right. impressed with his his ability to fill and tackle and kind of be right there and be a little feisty and uh I think you you kind of look forward and uh if he maybe like locks down that nickel spot or I mean obviously as as people grow older and his role develops maybe it's a more substantial thing but been super impressed with this class uh and i think i mean those guys are only going to get going to get better i mean we only those are only eight names or so but the fact that you have a premier pass rusher and a premier uh premier pass rusher premier corner and a premier quarterback that's a fantastic start
0: yeah and 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 like you said the evaluation is only going to grow further when we see Bruma mccoy and kyle ford contribute in the future or some of these other guys that we were high on coming in so I, I think in hindsight people will look back on that 19 class and feel a lot better about it than they did at the time i want to spin off this into just a little discussion about recruiting perceptions and everything uh, and this has nothing to do with the 2020 class which is going to finish ranked way down there and and definitely is going to be a drop-off overall so this is not a, uh, a defense or an alternate uh, perspective on that but I, i'm just fascinated by the way people look at recruiting rankings and how everyone just takes these things so hard and fast like oh this guy's a 3 star he you know there's no way he's, he should be in this class and that's always the reaction you get and obviously i work for rivals.com which is you know a major recruiting service so i i, I put a lot of stock in these rankings i know how much work these guys do to evaluate and, and rank them and i think to a large degree it's a great gauge for for how everything stacks up but I also think that you have to allow for some margin for error. And there are going to be examples where, where maybe you have to trust that the coaching staff has a different evaluation on a guy than what everyone else has. And I, I look at that in, in these two cases where Keaton Slovis and Keenan Christian weren't fallback plans. Like they, they wanted Keenan Christian and pursued him hard and got him and ended up uh, making him the only running back in that class. So they clearly thought he was more than a three-star. And while they wanted two quarterbacks, they got Keaton Slovis locked in early, they wanted a second. They still wanted Keaton part of that class regardless because they're like, this guy's a gem. So occasionally, I think you just have to defer a little bit and say maybe maybe this coaching staff has its own ranking and rating and it's different. Now, I want to ask you... What your perception was of recruiting rankings when you were coming up? Obviously, you were a five star. You had all the accolades, but you also played with guys, played against guys that were maybe ranked differently. How accurate or spot on that you feel it was as a as a prospect coming up?
1: Yeah, I think the whole quote of "stars don't matter" is absolute bogusness. Like the I mean. You look at the data, like, over the course of the time, a five-star is going to have a better chance to, like, make it, whatever the definition is, over the three-star. And I know it's, like, the fun way to So everyone's like, ah, it doesn't matter, like, three-star, J.J. Watt can go out there and Antonio Brown can go out there and beat a five-star. I get it, I get it. But over the course of time, in large enough sample sizes, give me the five-star any day over the three-star. Let's not be delusional here. But with that being said, obviously three-stars, I mean – guys pan out i think the biggest thing when when you were kind of going through that is uh what, what's the mentality of kids i think i mean you see it all the time of uh, is a five-star kid kind of the ar- arrogant guy that's kind of mailed it in a little bit and is not an, an absolute grinder and an absolute kind of guy that's going to get in and do kind of the, the, the dirty stuff and maybe expect some things to happen to him rather than go out there and fight to to, to get it I think that's real and it's not across the board i had unreal teammates but it's every every so often that you get i mean kind of that, that five-star guy that comes onto campus expects it to happen right away and isn't necessarily working and then you kind of get to his retro sophomore year and it's like oh crap what happened versus the three-star guy you better believe he's coming in hungry and, and kind of when you were going down those three-star guys i bet the mindset for a lot of those guys is i'm a three-star guy sure and it's not every year that i'm going to get a shot at an sc scholarship and so these guys probably jump all over it and their mindsets that hey i'm going to bring sc back out of the depths of a five star or of a five and seven program and i got a chip on my shoulder and and you're kind that's kind of that chip of being a three-star that chip of coming into a program that's five and seven but has extremely high standards i think that meshes well together but the reality is i think you and your colleagues are evaluating people that are 16, 15, 16, 17 years old. There's still so right. much development that has to be done at 18, 19, 20 years old. And oftentimes the five-star recruits are sometimes the guys that just kind of develop the quickest. And so they're they're easiest to kind of put a, uh, put a ranking on. But that's the beauty of the recruiting kind of world is that sure, five stars don't work out, Three stars sometimes do, but uh, so much of it is, I think, mentality. So much of it is, I think, kind of the confidence and kind of the opportunity you're given and kind of the outside circumstances that kind of align in your favor or don't align in your favor. But, yeah, credit, uh, credit this staff for evaluating really well.
0: Yeah, again, I think by and large, I put a lot of stock in the stars. Uh, the star rankings and a lot of work goes into it and a lot of evaluate, evaluation goes into it but in any form of assessment or evaluation in anything not just in sports there's always margin for error no, no one's a hundred percent and so I say all this just because I, I I don't like to jump to conclusions when these classes come together before we see these guys play in college and I think that while this 2020 class will end up ranked very low and is certainly not going to stack up to previous USC classes. It's just not. I think there's going to be individuals in that class who are we're going to say, wow, that guy was actually a pretty good find. I, 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 that guy's better than a three-star. And I can't tell you who those guys are going to be right now. I, I have some, some thoughts on guys that, that I like, but you know, I, I had some thoughts on guys in this last class that, that haven't yet produced like I thought they might have as freshmen. So you really don't know until they get on campus. And Keenan Christian, Keenan Slovis, two prime examples. Okay, that, that, was a big, that was a big aside, a big detour I wanted to take there. There is one more point on the offensive side before we flip sides of the ball. I think it's time to give offensive line coach Tim Drevno his due for the job he's done with this unit. Max, what, what, what's been your overall takeaway from – The improvement on the offensive line, not only from last year, but even just through this season.
1: Yeah, to me, I'm I'm more on not on the negative side, but to me, it's 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 just been fairly consistent. I think I think when they've faced tough D linemen, they've struggled at times, and I think when they face lesser D linemen, they've had they've been uh, they've executed and they've kind of done their thing. I don't see a ton of, ton of ebbs and flows. And I got that question on the pregame show as well. Um, but just kind of being, being a truth teller, I don't see a drastic difference. I think I mentioned a guy like Liam Jimmins. It's fun to see a guy like that come along. But you still at times kind of see the struggles a little bit here and there. I think in this game, uh, I think they were just, this Arizona defensive line was just not very good. And uh, they were fast and they tried to do a bunch and they are shooting gaps and all that stuff. And I think SC did a great job handling all that. But they should handle that. If 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 we're just being honest, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I will say I've been very impressed with that left hand side. I mean Elijah Vera Tucker and and Austin Jackson. They've been rock solid in, in in pass pro. But this was the first game that I guess we saw them kind of at at times dominate on the run game, which is a great sign. But I still gotta see it against a better defensive line. That's not a good Arizona defensive line. We've still seen this offensive line at times struggle with. Struggle with Washington, struggle with I mean Utah at at points in terms of the run game, and then BYU obviously getting beat up. I think this game they did just a great job manhandling the defensive line, which then allowed the combination blocks to get up to the second level. And that second level, or getting up to the second level and really kind of sealing guys off, that's the one area we hadn't really seen this year as much because that's why you saw guys get kind of three or four yards, but you didn't see – the keenan and Christian breakaway for sixty type runs, and obviously they pieced it together and got it done last uh, last Saturday.
0: Yeah, okay, well, that's all fair. That's all fair, and and I, I think that's uh, it's good to qualify that that this game is is a little bit of a skewed perception because of what Arizona is defensively. My perception is skewed from something else though. It's just from what I watched last year and feeling that like that unit was a liability most of the season and. I mean, maybe I'm just forgetting, but I, I can't remember seeing those gaping clear-out blocks where, where, where there are those big lanes. And We've seen it a few times in the last few weeks. I mean, USC has yeah. two of its three, three best rushing games in the last three games, both over 200 yards. Marquis some has some big holes against Notre Dame. So I, I just compared to last year, it's just a much more organized group. I think it's taking a step forward collectively. And the good thing for USC is that you're going to bring – Likely all those guys back, far in something unexpected, aside from Drew Richmond. You're going to have those guys back, and maybe they get a little bit better next year. Now, you mentioned Liam Jimmins. This is interesting. His uh, his snap count jumped way up this week. He had played 10 snaps and 8 snaps the first his first two games, which were Washington and Notre Dame. He played 26 snaps in this game. And again, Jalen McKenzie was the only starting offensive lineman who didn't play the first 63 snaps of the game before. You know the wholesale changes came in, and it looks like that timeshare is is uh, growing more and more in, in Jimmins' favor. You know it's it, it's hard to have a in depth evaluation of one lineman just off watching the game unless you go back and focus on him. But has anything jumped out to you about about when Liam Jimin has been in there over McKenzie?
1: Yeah, he's just athletic, and I think to me it kind of it kind of gets back to. He probably was, I mean, he, not probably, he was very raw. I mean, anytime you're, you're switching positions, that's a tough transition to make, but he's athletic. That's why he was a defense lineman and he's ginormous. So, I mean, it, I, I think I, I like how they've progressed him along. It makes a lot of sense. It's kind of, all right, let's sprinkle him in here. See how he does. All right, he does well. He's not freaking out. He's not doing a catastrophic mistake. Let's put more on his plate. And I was quick to point it out in this podcast. I mean, that kickout out block to, to free that big run that's all him. So I would not be surprised if if he keeps uh, keeps continuing to get better. It'll be interesting to see just kind of long term, if you're always trying to start your best five, there's probably a world where kind of, I mean, looking into 2020 and beyond where McKenzie and Jimmins are on the field at the same time. So that'll be kind of interesting to follow in years to come. But been impressed with Liam Jimmins. The one thing I do want to piggyback on your point is I, I was kind of... Uh, I I didn't I didn't give maybe the offensive line as much preps in my original answer but to your point it's a fair point I remember following the beginning of camp or midway through camp and there was serious concern about this offensive line like you kind of alluded to a little bit there where there were some scrimmages where it was bad and like they could not run at all and it was kind of a lost cause and you kind of planted it on the fact that SC might just have a really really good defensive line but I remember there was a there was a week or so there where there was batches of articles where there was people were worried about this group and to me I guess I kind of forgot that that's the that's the point we're coming to or that's the point we started at from there they've made huge strides I think from me where I saw them week one I was like all right this group's pretty solid that's kind of where I meant I I haven't seen maybe the huge stride but you forget that similar to the corners the offensive line and the corners were the two big question marks coming into the year the corners have proven to be a very good bunch and to me I think uh, the offensive line is just more of a more of a solid
0: bunch. Okay, well, that was a lot of talk about the offense when really the story of the game was the USC defense who comes out and shuts out Arizona through three quarters, holds them totally in check to that point, has seven sacks. Khalil Tate, who we talked a lot about in the pregame lead-up, ends up leaving the game in the third quarter after being sacked for the sixth time, had only 47 passing yards, negative rushing yards at that point. Uh, I mean, they really just totally – took him out of this game. And I thought it was interesting afterward that Clay Helton said his defensive coaches watched NFL film and looked at how teams defended Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and took things from that and put it into their game plan and had guys playing in different spots, had, had defensive ends playing at the three technique inside and were doing different stuff in the twist game. Um, You know, kudos to the coaching staff for a good game plan. What stood out to you about the way they just totally uh, took Tate out of this game and shut down the Wildcats?
1: I think depth stuck out, and then I I think Clancy's game plan stuck out as well. I mean, man, they brought the heat. And uh, we kind of saw that a little bit in Notre Dame, Clancy, Blitzen. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, especially in college football, it's not all the time you see – Like this, the the safeties and corners being blitzed to the extent that I mean, Clancy did this past game. That's impressive. It shows one kind of the high-level scheme that Clancy brings to the park. But then, two, the level of talent this defense has, and the fact that they can do it. It's not every team you have the corners and the safeties to be able to bring them up close to the line and then blitz, or kind of squeeze down and then bring a corner cat. So it shows you kind of the talent they have. But uh, I was impressed that they're rolling in a lot of new faces, and oftentimes, sometimes when you bring in uh, new faces, you kind of dumb down the defense just so they don't have assignment errors. Well, that wasn't the case. Clancy was full on the gas pedal, doing different things. It didn't matter who was back there, and uh, well, yeah, it was an impressive night for this defense.
0: Yeah, and, and again, they enter this game down four starters already. Christian Rector, uh Paul uh, Greg Johnson and Elijah Griffin, Isaac Taylor Stewart didn't start, but ended up playing a lot of the game. But then they lose four guys throughout the course of the game. They lose Talno Hufanga to a shoulder. They lose Drake Jackson to an ankle. Uh, Abdul Malik McLean. Injuries uh, were tough. Yeah. Goes down. And and yet they, they still, like, Arizona did nothing until the game was out of hand. So thoroughly impressed. Let's start with Kanai Mauga, who starts in place of EA, has 13 tackles, uh, an interception, a forced fumble, two and a half tackles for loss, or two ta- two tackles for loss sack. I did not see that coming, just because I didn't know what to expect from him. What jumped out to you about Kanai Malga?
1: My man bought himself a lot of a lot of playing time in the future. Um, no, I think to me going into the season, the big question was, I mean, that like you had depth at various areas, especially on the defense, you had kind of depth at corners. You were going to rotate four guys in. You had depth on the defensive line. But you did not have depth at the Mike and Will spot. That's something that you did not have. And uh, for Kanai to kind of get out there and uh, and make something happen, that was really impressive. And uh, I think the biggest thing is anytime it's, you, you see a guy's kind of first – real play or, or first kind of substantial action. Obviously, he got his first start in that game. For him not to flinch and just kind of go out there and play ball, uh, that was impressive. But, yeah, anytime. You have a guy who's making his first start and he leads your team in tackles. Uh, He did a lot. I think he's very physical. That's one thing you don't always have at the will linebacker position. I think at SC fans, we see EA all the time and that's kind of what we're used to. And it's like, all right, he brings the physicality too, but I'm impressed with Kanai Malga's uh, physicality as well. And, uh, I think that's a huge boost for that defense, um, especially with Jordan Iasefa being out. The fact that they now kind of have a third interior backer that they can go to is uh, is super advantageous.
0: So th- this is a hard question to answer. So uh, I'm just curious what, what your take is. Do you think that maybe the coaches either didn't know that he would play that way, because you just, you just can't see know it until he does it in the game? Or it was just a loyalty thing to EA and Houston that those guys are the guys and they're going to play every snap? Or this was a product of, of a great game plan and playing Arizona? I mean, yeah. how do you kind of come down on, on Kanai Malga's performance in, in that regard?
1: Having been around many football locker rooms and seeing Kanai Malga's response after he made that pick and he threw the ball 50 yards up in the air, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's probably not the most disciplined of players. So I would be willing okay. to bet that he is not the most assignment sound guy. And therefore is very hard to, tr- if we're just calling a spade a spade and I'm sorry if he has family members listening to this, but he, if I'd be willing to bet, he's probably uh, at times hard for the coaches to trust. And I could be totally wrong. This is just my theory being around uh, linebackers uh, of a similar sort, but uh, that, that's my, that's my one gauge and paired with uh Coach Helton's comments after the game, where he was saying John Houston was like the, I think he said like the grandpa back there, and he was having to scream his head off to get all the youngsters in line. Well, who's <laughs> he screaming at? The guy to his left, and the guy to his right. One of them's Kai Malga. So I think there's probably elements of that. Where hey, I mean, I I just kind of got on the kid's case, but he is a younger player. That's where you learn. That's where you get better. But uh, having been around football long enough, I'd be willing to bet that's the case.
0: No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I asked Clay on the Sunday night teleconference if uh, if Kanai had earned a, a larger role going forward, and he made the fair point that you know EA is going to be limited for a while with that high ankle sprain, um, regardless of his status this week. Like he's not going to be. At, we, we've seen it with Christian Rector, who's still dealing with it. So I I think what you probably see going forward is is Kanai getting a chance and and spelling EA. Once he does return, and and kind of having a role that way again organically, where it's not a tough decision they have to make, there. Totally. Um, moving elsewhere in, in, in the defense, I uh, just continue to be impressed with um, with the young secondary. Uh, we talked about it a little bit before the Chris Steele had, had a great pass breakup downfield. Dorian Hewitt comes out, starts the first two series. You yeah, know, it wasn't really tested. Like it, it wasn't a a dominant dynamic dynamic passing attack from Arizona but what what else stood out to you about about this performance overall defensively
1: yeah you can easily see the trust that Clancy and Greg Burns have in those guys I mean when you bring pressure like I just alluded to in the last little question there that means you're putting these DBs on an island at times and I think that I mean Khalil Tate, like he's getting pressure. The reason he wasn't able to get the ball a, a lot of times is there's DBs kind of right in his receiver's pocket. And that's a huge testament to kind of what Greg Burns has done as a technician and kind of what he's teaching those guys. But oftentimes when you see second, third string corners out there, you have a the, the corner kind of squat and the safety over the top. And, and sure, there were, there were bits and pieces of that. But by and large, they were just playing football. They were just lining up and going, and so that's, that's the one area that stuck out to me. I think I can't, see, I can't sing uh, Chris Steele's praises enough. I think, I mean, he's been great all year long. It's been fun to kind of see his progression, and I uh, was talking with Jordan Moore uh, in the pregame show on the radio, and he was kind of saying at practice he's around there a little bit, and you, you can see the difference in just kind of the way the corners are operating at practice. I mean, uh, in, in fall camp. Uh, these SC receivers absolutely torch the, the, the secondary on one-on-ones kind of every day. And it was, it was a concern point for sure. Versus now, they're making some plays in the game. They're, they're doing some pass breakups. They're, they're, they're making some things happen. And that confidence is flowing. And anytime you're getting, I mean, backups in there that are able to make plays and that whole room gets some camaraderie and we all know what the, the, the cornerback position brings in terms of chatter and swagger and all that, that's, uh, that, that's a great sign.
0: I did, I did skip over it a little bit. Um, we should probably talk about John Houston, who I, I had one of his better games of the season. I know he's a guy that we are critical of at times, has eight tackles, one-and-a-half sacks, two-and-a-half tackles for loss, recovers a fumble. Did you see anything different in John Houston's role um, playing next to Kanai? You, you mentioned having to be vocal and that really being an emphasis. And, and Clay also mentioned uh, John Houston helping them uh, check against, Uh, Arizona's checks. so when Arizona would look look back and change things Houston was able to to help them make counter adjustments but in terms of just the way he was used was there anything different this game
1: yeah I think going into the game you knew that this game plan just the matchup Houston was going to be more sideline to sideline rather than north to south kind of thing when you go up against Notre Dame he's going to have to take on uh, combination blocks that are working up to him way more versus this game when Arizona comes out in the first, second possession and does fly sweeps on you and, and little kind of Cleo Tate and uh, J.J. Taylor off the edge, you're going to have John Houston getting sideline to sideline he's going to have to kind of beat uh, beat offensive linemen to the spot. And I think that's one thing he did really well. Um, in terms of edge defense, it's a, to- it's a topic we've talked about a bunch this year. Um, to me, there was still kind of plays to be made out there uh, offensively but they're asking John Houston from the middle linebacker spot oftentimes to kind of fill that gap on the edge and kind of flow outside the box and rally and make plays so I think moving forward his speed everyone gets on him for his size or or lack thereof if we're being honest but there's something to be said about I mean I know in, in years past Cam Smith always had to lose weight to kind of be more mobile and Cam Smith was a fantastic college linebacker don't get me wrong And I don't think Houston's to his level. But when you are a little bit more agile, like a a John Houston is, that can really play into his favor, especially against a matchup like Arizona and then looking forward to kind of – I mean, Oregon's got a great offensive line, so maybe that's not the best one. But some of these other kind of Pac-12 typical matchups, uh, I think schematically they line up a lot better for John Houston.
0: Well – yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna be a total prisoner in the moment and swing my evaluation of him entirely because we. Ha- I have been critical throughout the season, but I'll definitely give him credit for a nice game. Overall, USC took care of business as it should have against Arizona. I don't think Arizona is very good. I think that's the way the USC should have won a game like this. But it is a one week at a time thing right now. They're still in control of their Pac-12 destiny. Did anything you see you saw Saturday change or influence your thoughts on their Pac-12 hopes the rest of the way? That's a good question. Um,
1: I think the injuries, to be honest, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I, I like your saying of don't be a prisoner of the moment. Like, okay, you had a lot of young guys step up and when when it was when you're playing with a lead and you're at home and it's homecoming and the juices are flowing and, and all that, these guys are playing well. But well, what happens when you go on the road to an Arizona State or to a Colorado on a short week and maybe these young guys do get beat by a deep ball? Like how do you respond there? And these injuries, man, they are really, really stacking up. So I think I mean there there's I mean, we we knew S C could make a run and kind of rally it off if they if the if the stars align, which I mean, if they play like they played last week, that's a good sign. But you're looking at, I mean, Drake Jackson, Stephen Carr, Marquis Stepp, Talanoa Hufunga, who we haven't really touched on. That's probably the most significant one. Munir McLean, Malik McLean. Like, you're talking about a lot of guys that are going down. So, um, maybe not this upcoming week against Colorado, where we see it like really pay the price, but against a very physical Oregon team where you need your depth and doesn't necessarily look like SC will have that. That, to me, is very concerning. And then, obviously, getting into the later of the year. So I think maybe in terms of, hey, did I learn anything or did anything change? To me, this this, this win came at a big time price in terms of uh, the in- injuries sustained.
0: Yeah, and, and that's how I wrote about it after the game. I, I said, e- even when when good things happen, there has to be a caveat. And the caveat was the injuries and, and, and the toll they paid to get that win. And it may not show up this week against Colorado, that working game, like you mentioned, is going to be uh, so pivotal, and, and we'll just have to see what happens. I, you, know, you have to expect that they're going to be without Drake and and Talanoa, Um yeah. at least this game. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just uh, it, it's hard to overcome those guys for a full game.
1: Totally. And the other thing I learned also, I think uh, talk about key key like learning points is uh, third down pass rush. I mean. You're talking about all year, struggled keeping quarterbacks contained. Ian Book, Fresno State's kid. Uh, I mean, and then you go up against the hardest one of them all, and Cleo Tate, and they absolutely swarmed him. He had no room to run, and it was fun kind of seeing him maybe bring in a Drake Jackson interior and Hunter Eccles on the outside and get way more speed on third down rather than, I mean – Ryan, great call last week. You you kind of said, hey, they should they should sit Kristen Rector because it's really kind of hurting them. Yeah. Uh, that kind of that paid dividends in terms of getting speed on the edge, really containing guys. So, in terms of learning points, that is something we hadn't seen before that the team executed very well in terms of third down, contain, keeping the quarterback either in the pocket or if he's getting outside the pocket, SC's defense wasn't getting out leveraged.
0: Every once in a while I have a good opinion, every once in a while. <laughs> um, now, this was good. We'll uh, obviously break down the Colorado matchup later in the week. Uh, it's a short week. They play on Friday night, so we'll have that podcast posted Thursday night or Friday morning very early so you can get the full breakdown on that, on that game. But good stuff as always, Max. Enjoy it.
1: Thanks, Ron.